Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have today to open your word as we look at doctrine, the doctrine of salvation. Lord, there's no greater topic than the doctrine of salvation. And Lord, I pray that uh, that as we open your word and as we discuss um, what it is, uh, as we talk about sanctification, Lord, may you challenge us, may you encourage us, and may you guide us as we walk uh, through this life that is crazy and chaotic. And Lord, may we stay focused in on what it is that you have for us. And I pray that each one here, um, that God, you would uh, bless them in a neat way, that you would encourage them and remind them, God, that your expectations as a faithful follower of Christ is to consistently be sanctified and to consistently be changed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that there is none righteous, no, not one, that in our own strength, our own abilities, Lord, we would certainly be able to not uh, accomplish all that you've called us to so that we might be saved, but that through your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, Lord, we can certainly be born again from above. And so we thank you for the grace that you have expounded to us, and we ask for this time together today, and we ask it in the precious and the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, again, if you're joining us for the first time, we've been working through the doctrine of salvation. Today, we're going to be talking about sanctification. We talked about common grace. Uh, week one, we've talked about election and reprobation, whether it's conditional, unconditional, you have to decide where you fall. We talked about union with Christ, being in Christ. We talked about regeneration, week four, being uh, born again from above. We talked about conversion and how we are then uh, converted from death to life, from the power of Satan to God. We are born again from above. We are now a child of God. And then we talked about justification and how we have been declared right before God, that every single one of us, Psalm 51, 5 says we've been born into sin and thus we need to be justified because we are guilty and death is our penalty. And when we are justified, when we are converted and regenerated, we are adopted into the family of God and we become children of God rather than children of Satan. And then we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how it was a work of Almighty God at the moment of conversion, not a second work of grace, not uh, something that would allow you to uh, prove uh, by speaking in tongues that you've been saved, but rather it is a work of Almighty God at the moment of conversion that uh, empowers you um, to live out the faithful Christian life because the Spirit of God is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. And today we're going to talk about sanctification. And I promise you, if you'll sit tight and you'll hold on, you'll be encouraged and you'll be challenged. And so I pray that as we talk about the doctrine of salvation, specifically as it relates to sanctification, that you will be challenged, that you'll be encouraged. We always begin by definitions. Uh, what does sanctification mean? It's a large word, but nevertheless, I have several uh, definitions that I want to bring to your, uh, uh, your reminder. Sanctification, number one, is the cooperative work of God and Christians by which ongoing transformation into greater Christ-likeness occurs. That's uh, Greg Allison's definition from which we have uh, began this uh, series on the doctrine of salvation comes from the 50 core truths of, of, of the Christian faith. That's Greg Allison's definition. Here's one. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and to live unto righteousness. I, I like that definition. Uh, sanctification is a moral renovation. Uh, that's a, a great imagery uh, uh, to describe what sanctification is. It's a moral renovation by which God, the Holy Spirit, increasingly changes your life from sinful habits to conforming us daily into Christ's likeness. Sanctification is progressive 
in the life of the believer. That's, this is my definition. Uh, sanctification, Erickson, uh, page 967, describes sanctification is the continuing work of God in the life of the believer, making him or her actually holy. So very simplistic, but emphasizing this, this idea of holiness, making the believer, him or her, holy. And then Wayne Grudem, sanctification is a progressive work. There's that idea of ongoing progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So I think we can sum all of these up that it is a work of God in the life of a believer by which he makes us more holy. And it is certainly a process. And so, you know, we, we're very guilty, I think, uh, in, in our day and age to pin somebody down and, and uh, really uh, try to judge their salvation based off of uh, maybe an activity they've done or some things they've said and and we forget that it's sanctification's a process. I mean, when you're born as a child, you're born out of the womb of your mother, and, and it's not like you know math. It's not like you're, uh, you know, a scholar at that moment. You're a baby in Christ. Give people an opportunity for God to grow them. And, uh, you know, I think we live in a day, and listen, I get all the DMs. You know, and and uh, if it, if one of my admins or somebody that I know has done something inappropriate, boy, I get the DMs like crazy. You need to, you need to counsel. You need like I don't counsel. You know what I mean? Like like I'm not pouring into people. Uh, listen, be patient. Sanctification is a work of God. It is not you. It is not me. It is not my efforts. It is the believer who has put his faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, and it is the indwelling of the Spirit of God who works in you to grow you in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that you may become more sanctified. So we have to be patient because sanctification is a work of God. You know, if uh, if Michael had an issue and I went to Michael and I said, you need to stop doing this and you need to stop doing that. Do you think Michael's just going to stop doing this and stop doing that because some man told him? No, it is a work of almighty God that changes people's hearts. And we forget that. And we, we want to blitz people and we want to discredit their salvation because they're not perfect and they're not holy and they're not righteous. Well, let me remind you. The Bible is very clear. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's not one. That includes every single one in the sound of my voice. Now, when God sees us, he sees us as holy and righteous and, and perfect, because not because we are something good or we're living some habitual righteous life, but rather because we are covered in the blood of the Lamb. But it does not negate doesn't give us the freedom to sin so that grace may abound. May it never be, Paul says. But what we have to do, we have to be patient and let God do what God does. You want to see someone change. You want to see the life of someone become holy and righteous and set apart. Well, listen, first you need to give them time and let God do what God does, and you do what you do, meaning you pray for that brother or sister who is walking in rebellion, who isn't living out the victorious Christian life. Because if we are going to be honest, every single one of us have sinned, and we've probably sinned since yesterday, if not this morning. And thus your sin is no different than my sin, and my sin is no different than your sin. And thus we need grace, and we need prayer for one another, that we might grow in our sanctification, that we might be progressively growing more Christ-like. But it is a process. Don't expect a baby to do calculus. Don't expect an infant to walk. Don't expect a, a two-year-old to do gymnastics. Just be glad they're walking. 
and they're falling and they're walking and they're falling. Now, if they are, you know, 10 years old as a Christian and they're still falling in that same sin, then there's, there's problems and they need to be addressed. But listen to me very clearly. It is a process by which God works. I am not God. You are not God. You are not the Holy Spirit. You don't change people's hearts. God does. And God is in charge of sanctification. And it is a process by which you, the believer, can show grace in the lives of one another, trusting that God is in absolute control and that he will change the hearts of his children and he will grow them. We just have to learn to be more patient. You know, we we just we we are we pop off at the mouth like crazy, and uh, we gossip and we slander and and we do things and we we don't do them the way God calls us to do them. We like to accomplish sanctification uh, for for our benefit rather than the benefit of the one who is actually being sanctified to make us feel good about ourselves. Listen, it's a process by which God works in the life of a believer that draws him and makes him more into the image of his son. And that process is hot. It is a smeltering process in which he eliminates the impurities from the gold so that you can now produce 100% gold in your life. But let me remind you, there's justification in which you've been declared right before God. Positionally, you've been sanctified. You've been declared right before God. But there will be a progressive sanctification in which you're becoming more like God. But know this, nobody will be perfect until you see Christ face to face, and then we will be glorified. You're justified, you are sanctified, and you one day will be glorified. So don't treat people as if they're to be glorified on this earth. They are imperfect human beings who make mistakes but there must be sanctification. And here are some passages which we always we share. I pray you'll read them, study them, and uh, that give us uh, some insight into this uh, reality of sanctification. So three stages of phrases, uh, phases of sanctification. The Bible speaks of sanctification in three ways, and it's important to know uh, why it is being spoken of in 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 this passage, in which passages is being spoken of. These phrases have been described as past, present, and future sanctification. The, the initial, right? The initial sanctification, the progressive sanctification, and the ultimate sanctification. And so I like to start out by emphasizing positional sanctification, okay? This is important to understand. This, this helps us as we walk through this life, our personal life. See, this is not a message that you need to go, oh, I wish Bobby or Joe was here or Sandy or Shirley. No, this is for you. Stop worrying about everybody else and worry about you. Let me worry about me and you worry about you. And let's apply this teaching to our lives and stop trying to look it into somebody else's. It's important for you to understand the three phases of sanctification so that you can evaluate where you are and to make sure that you're truly, number one, born again from above, which is by faith in Christ alone. It is by grace through faith in Christ alone that you are saved. But that which saves, that, that whom is saved is sanctified. And so we are first positionally sanctified. Now, positional holiness is an immediate one-time act by God that disconnects us from the power of sin and sets us apart for the kingdom of darkness and places us into the kingdom of light. Okay? Think about it. When you were dead in your trespasses and sin, can dead people do anything? Of course not. So positional sanctification or positional holiness is the one time by which God declares you just. He declares you right. Okay? That's important to know. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, just like when they put the blood on the doorpost 
right? They were positionally saved, basically, because the blood is what was going to protect them. Your faith in Christ is what positionally God declares you right before him. Therefore, you are positionally sanctified. We learn in Romans 6, 6 and 7, the ruling power of sin is what? No longer the dominant power in the lives of darkness. Sin still is present, but is no longer president over our lives. Steve Lawson said that in one of my classes. He said, sin is still present, but it's no longer president over our lives. That's positional sanctification right? Sin, you still sin. You still make mistakes. You still do things that dishonor God, but they are not, you are not under the power of sin anymore when you are saved, when you are born again. See, people have this idea, oh, you're saved, you're born again. All of a sudden, no more sin. You're perfect. You're holy. You're righteous. You're set apart. Well, positionally, yes, because he who knew no sin became sin on your behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When God sees you as a one, as one who has put their faith in Christ, he no longer sees you, but he sees Christ. You're covered in the blood of the lamb, right? Just like in the Passover, it wasn't about who was in the house. They're still sinful in need of a savior, but it was because of the blood on the doorpost in their obedience to painting the blood on the doorpost, the death angel passed over. Were there some who were scared? Yes. Were there some who had faith? Yes. But nevertheless, because they were covered in the blood of the Lamb, they were saved. They were delivered. But listen, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved. Okay? doesn't mean sin is gone. You are in this flesh, but it's no longer you're no longer a slave to sin. It isn't president over your life. Hebrews 10.10 says, By this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You get that. You're saved. And you're saved, positionally sanctified, through the offering of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts 20, 32, and now I have com uh, commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 2 reminds us that we, that you, become a saint at the moment you are regenerated. You are a saint. doesn't mean you're perfect. Again, your salvation is not because you did something good, right? I mean, let's just be honest. You did nothing. And thus, when God saved you, it wasn't because you were some righteous person. No, it was because of his grace, not that you've done anything because of your deeds. No, Titus 3, 4, and 5 reminds us it's not by the deeds which you've done in righteousness, but according to his grace and mercy. Salvation is not by works, lest Christ died needlessly. Galatians 2.20, I do not nullify the grace of God. Right? Salvation, Ephesians 2, 8 through 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith in this, not of yourselves. Right? It's not, a, not by keeping the law, my friend. So it, that you, when you are when you are born again, when you are given new life, you become a saint. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're sinless in your activity. God sees you as holy and righteous and perfect because of His Son Jesus Christ, not because you're something special. As far as the way you live your life, you are all very special. You're created in the very image of God. But I'm trying to make a distinction. That uh, how do you how do you distinguish between saint and sinner, and how does a saint sin? Well, you're a sinning saint, <laughs> continually graced by the Lord Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, which was He died for your sins, past, present, and future. So in 
1 Corinthians 1.30, when you place your faith in just in Christ, there is justification, there is redemption, and there is progressive sanctification by which you are becoming more like Christ. You are not like Christ. That will be at glorification when you see Christ face to face in heaven. But there is justification. There's redemption and there's sanctification. 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you. Remember that? Sinners, stained, separated, in enmity with God, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God all in a moment. So you are positionally sanctified as a believer, and that's important to know that you are a new creation in Christ, Right, The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. You are positionally sanctified. This one-time act by which God declares you right. And then uh, you are now, because you are positionally sanctified, there must be then progressive sanctification. You can't have positional sanctification without progressive sanctification. That's important to remember because many will say, well, I'm saved because I put my faith in Jesus Christ and he saved me. Amen. But if you are not walking out the victorious Christian life, then you better be questioning whether you're truly born again because remember, not only is it positional sanctification, the requirement is progressive sanctification. So our task as Christians is to grow more and more in sanctification just as we previously grew more and more into sin, right? That's important. I mean, Jesus Christ paid for your sin on Calvary. We are no longer a slave to sin, but now we are indebted to righteousness. And so we as we as we kept getting worse and worse before we were saved, as we kept um, sinning and sinning and sinning more and more and more, when we're saved, when we're sanctified, progressively we become more and more righteous. It's a process. Romans 6.12 and um, in 19 through 20, he says here in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of my flesh. For just as you presented the parts of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now, why now? Because you've been born again. Because you've been positionally sanctified, now progressively be sanctified. So now present, he says, present your bodies, parts, as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And so John 17, 17 to 19 says, Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Progressive sanctification is important. You, you can't be born again and not be growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You, you can't be saved and born again and not be becoming more and more godly. 1 Peter uh, 1, 13-16 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for actions. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Listen, there is a high level of expectation for the believer, the one who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, to be holy. John Murray calls it definitive sanctification. Growth is vital to show you you are being sanctified. Philippians 3, 12 to 14, 
press on toward the goal. Colossians three twelve. Put on these things. First Peter two two. So that you may grow in respect to salvation. Listen again. If a baby uh, never grows up, you would be concerned. So the importance is that we not only are we born again, but that we continue to grow. And so there must be progressive sanctification. A matter of fact, it says in Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, no one will see the kingdom of God. There must be an active, ongoing, growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ and you being sanctified. So if you're here today and you're living in sin and there's no repentance in your heart and you can just keep walking in that sin, then be concerned that nothing has taken place salvifically in your life. Now, again, we have to be patient. This is a work of God. And everybody grows different. Listen, you can plant 10 trees. If you have ever planted, I own a landscape business, and uh, we've planted plants all, uh, for a lot, many years. And you can plant five plants, same soil, same treatment, same water, same fertilizer, same size hole, done the exact same way. And one of them stinking trees is not going to grow as fast as the others. They are just not going to grow the same. Listen, you are not going to grow the same. If God has, has progressively sanctified you and, and done it in a, a quick fashion, praise God. But be careful that you not become the judge. There is one righteous judge. And if it is God who is doing the sanctification, then we have to be certainly careful that we don't become the judge of men's sanctification. Now, he says you'll know them by their fruits. But again, every tree produces fruit differently. If you've ever been around fruit trees or grapevines, or, you know, there's always one that does better than the other. And again, they're grapevines. And why does one produce another? Well, it may be because of their habits. It may be because, uh, you know, they're being taken care of better. Uh, but nevertheless, we see the reality of the, the, the sanctification by which um, people grow as a work of God. So not only... Is there sanctification, right, in the progressive sanctification in the life of the believer? But what we'll see thirdly, not only is there a positional sanctification, a progressive sanctification, thirdly, there is a perfected sanctification. Listen, sanctification of our souls is complete when we die. So I think what we what we want is we want everybody who claims to be a Christian to be perfected in their sanctification, but us, right? It's really easy to, to look outside and judge everybody. Think about this. The Bible says this. If you have a problem with your brother or sister, you are to go to them in private, and you are to meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. You're not to publicize it. You're not to gossip. You're not to slander someone, you are to do it privately, okay? What's interesting is when you read the slanders that many of you encounter, I, I don't know about you, but I encounter them. I've been slandered even here on Telegram, on Facebook, behind my back, even in my community. Um, we We... in itself is a sin. It, it's actually a sin to, to, to slander somebody behind their back rather than going publicly. So by slandering somebody and sinning, 
and you're saying they're a sinner because they're sinning, that doesn't make any sense. So instead of slandering somebody, go to them one-on-one. And if that doesn't work, take another brother and go to them. And if that doesn't work, take the elders of the church to them. And if that doesn't work, then you kick him out of the church. But the process is never, we don't have the right to slander people, to slander their name, because when we do, what we're saying is they need perfected sanctification while we don't have it. Listen, sanctification of our souls is complete when we die. When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and you are glorified. 1 John 1, 8-10, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Has anybody in this room not sinned? Nope. Everybody. Everybody sinned. So we have to be extremely careful that we don't try to be God, but that we live our lives based off the Word of God the best we can. And when we fail, we repent and we ask God to forgive us. And maybe, just maybe, we publicly apologize. Listen, I'm a pastor. I stand in the pulpit every week. If I've done something that has dishonored God, I don't mind publicly apologizing. If I've done something that's, you know, dishonored the name of Christ, man, I'm sorry. I I apologize. Would you please forgive me? I, I mean, I have to ask for forgiveness for people all the time. More specifically, my family. But nevertheless, let it be very clear. Sanctification, perfected sanctification, is when you are glorified. Sin will follow you all the days of your life. Doesn't mean you have to fall into that sin, right? He says there's no temptation. I think it's uh, 1 Corinthians 10. There's no temptation that's overtaking you, but that which is common to man, and God will provide a way of escape. Doesn't mean you're going to take that way of escape. You may, you may fall into the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the boastful pride of life, and you may fall into sin. But nevertheless, he says there is no temptation that's overtaking you, but that which is common. What, what is common? Your sin and my sin are common. Not, you don't face anything I don't face, and I don't face anything you don't face. And Jesus faced at all, yet he was without sin. That's why Hebrews says, don't we have a high priest who then got sympathized with us in every way as, as he was tempted in sin, So, but yet without sin? We're not that way. But God has provided a way of escape. But when you fail to take the provision provided, you must confess your sins to the Lord. Sin will follow you all the days of your life. Doesn't mean you have to buy into that sin, and doesn't mean you have to fall into that sin. He has given us victory, right? Yet at death, our souls, listen, will be perfected, Hebrew 12, 23. Our souls are fully sanctified in the presence of God, since nothing unclean, not even mostly clean, can ever stand before Him, Revelation 21, 27. Listen, sanctification of our bodies, glorification, perfected sanctification, whatever you want to call it, takes place at the Lord's return. You're going there. He's coming here. It makes no difference. It just depends on which side of the line you are on. Philippians 3, 20, 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Some of us need that reminder this morning. This is not our home, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The reality is, is that his coming, every Christian will be given their resurrected body that shall fully bear the image 
of the man of heaven, 1 Corinthians 15, 49. This means that sanctification in this life, God is the one who sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Ephesians 5, 25-27, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might what? sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We will be perfected in our sanctification when we are glorified. Now, positionally, he has done that. And progressively, he is doing that. But one day, all of that will go away, and we will be glorified, for we will be with our Lord and our Savior. Christians are given many commands they must obey in order to be sanctified. And this obedient life increases our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, For this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is, your for your life, you know, many people say, oh, well, I need to read this book or read it. What is it that what God wants me to do? For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain for sexual immorality. You want to know what the will of God is, is that you continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, that you continue in your life to have victory over sin. He has paid for you on Calvary, my friend. He has given you everything pertaining to life and to godliness. Romans 6, 19, he says, I am speaking in human terms because of the natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawless, he calls us now to present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So the reality is, we we can have the victorious Christian life. Romans 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin, you become slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You've been set free, my friend, of sin. So if you're walking in sin today, it's not because you haven't been given the freedom in Christ. You're no longer a slave to sin. Your, your, your chains connected to sinful behaviors have been removed. But sometimes, don't we just like to go back in and, and do what we know is not right, don't we? You know, there are many people who I always like the illustration. You may have a 2020. Corvette, but in that garage you may have a vintage Corvette, and sometimes, for some reason, we like to go get him back in that old car and drive it around because it brings back old memories. Listen, you've been given a new life in Christ, but sometimes we like to go jump back in the old flesh. Because if we're going to be honest, sin is good for a season. But reminded us always that the wages of sin is always death. Listen, add to this reality hundreds of ethical commands of the New Testament. Sanctification is a process. It's progressive. It's not 100% complete. That's perfected sanctification. We need to use the tools that God has given us so that we can be progressively 
sanctified. Okay? So how do we do it? How do we do it? Read your Bible and meditate. Read your Bible and meditate. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor sit in the path of sinners, nor stand in the seat of scoffers, or stand and sit. But his delight is what? In the law of the Lord. I'm sorry if I'm misquoting. I'm, I'm not, I don't have my Bible open. I'm just quoting. Um, uh, but his delight will be in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he will meditate day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in the season, and his leaves do not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. If you want to live out the victorious Christian life, my friend, then it begins by being a student of the Word of God. I'm not talking about making junk up. I'm talking about if you hold to a theology, show me the book, the chapter, the verse in its proper context. Book, chapter, verse. You need to be a student of the Word of God. How about John 17, 17? He says, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. You want to grow, you want to be sanctified, then it begins by reading the Bible and meditating on the Word of God day and night. Yearn for it like the pure milk of a child yearning after the milk of a mother. So the first thing we can do if we want to grow in the grace and the knowledge is read our Bible. I'm not talking about copy and pasting somebody else's stuff. I'm talking about you opening your Bible and actually reading your Bible and studying the Word of God and pouring into it. I'm not talking about just consistently feeding on somebody else's stuff. The same Spirit of God that indwells me is the same Spirit of God that indwells you. It's the same Spirit of God that illuminates His truth. And it's the same Spirit of God that speaks to me through His living and active Word that speaks to you through His living and active Word. Stop listening to man and listen to the Word of God. For that is how God speaks today. And then the second thing we can do is prayer. How often do we pray? If we certainly want to be sanctified, then we need to be men and women of, of prayer. The prayer of a, a righteous man, what? Availeth much, accomplishes much. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So not only are we to be asking and praying for ourselves, but on behalf of others. How often do you pray? How often do you pray? Prayer is the thing of the past, isn't it? It should not be for the Christian. But if we're going to be honest, it is. It's, it's like only when we need something do we actually confront God or do we go to God. We need to be men and women of prayer. Somebody needs to buy the book called The Power of Prayer by Ian Bounds. And, and when you read that book, you just you think, man, am I even a Christian? These men of yesteryear, were faithful prayers. They were on their knees praying for God to work in the hearts of people. Why do we need to pray? Because it's important. It's important. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we don't even know what to pray for uh, as we ought, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, Romans 8.26 reminds us. So, 
need to be praying. Pray always. Don't lose heart. And then we need to worship. Worship is a is is you know what we do. I mean, I I worship all the time. I'm driving down the road. I I look up into the skies. I I remember this morning. I don't know somewhere around three o'clock. I woke up and the the skies were crystal clear out my window. And I just looked up and I saw like man, the heavens declared the glory of God, and just worshipped God for who He was. And that was at three o'clock in the morning. And he'll wake up and thank God for who he is. Give him praise. Worship him. Go to church on Sunday. Sing praises. Worship through giving of your tithes. Listen, you know, so many people say, well, you know, I don't go to church because the pastors always ask about money. Listen, I've, I've never preached on giving money. Now, I don't say that pridefully. Somebody, most People tell me I was ignorant for not, because the Bible talks about giving. Giving is a is an act of worship, and we ought to give as an act of worship. We ought to sing praises as an act of worship, and we ought to preach God's word as an act of worship. All three elements are acts of worship. We ought to be doing it on a regular basis. So let me ask you, where are you worshiping? You say, well, I don't have to go to church. Well, the Bible says you should. Yeah, you can worship out in the mountains. You can worship wherever you are. But the Bible says do not forsake the assembling together as many who do. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Worship. Addressing one another. Verse 19 Ephesians 5, dressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing melodies to the Lord with, with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We need to be worshipers. We also need to be fellowshippers. You know, we're living in a day when the enemy is active. And what he wants to do is eliminate genuine fellowship. The, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. It, it means the, that which is common. That's why we have koine Greek. It was the common language of the day. Well, you and I, as children of God, have something in common, and that is that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And therefore, when I see you and you see me and I have a relationship with Christ and you have a relationship with Christ, we have something right off the bat that's in common with one another, and that is that we have fellowship with the saints. So when you go to church on Sundays, you ought to be fellowshipping. You ought to be encouraging one another, talking about what it is God's doing in your life and giving God glory for all that He's done and that He is doing and that we can pray for one another, that we confess to one another. And then in uh, Hebrew 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as is a habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more, my friend, the text says, as you see the day drawing near. Guys, the day is drawing near. Jesus could burst through those clouds at any second to rapture his church, and it will be too late. So let me remind you this morning, you better be progressively being sanctified. More importantly, you better be positionally sanctified. So we need to be reading our Bible, meditating on the Word of God, hiding the Word of God in our heart. We need to be praying, praying, worshiping, fellowshipping, and we need to be exemplifying self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And then we need to be evangelizing. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all of commanded you. He says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, if we want to usher in the return of Christ, then we need to get on the we need to get on task 
and go share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Go share the word of God. Go tell the world that Jesus died for their sins and that they need to repent and believe the gospel. Because when the world has heard, Jesus will return. So go tell the gospel. Be men and women who are faithfully living out the proclamation of the gospel. And the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, says it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it is the power to save. You want to change nations. You want to change countries. You want to change the United States of America. Then it begins by preaching the gospel. Because what we are facing as a nation is a sin issue. And the only solution to sin is a transformed, renewed heart that comes from knowing Jesus Christ personally. And that is the gospel, my friend. So I pray that you are first positionally sanctified, that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and he has declared you right. But I also pray for those that are positionally sanctified that you be, be progressively sanctified, that you continue to grow more and more in your relationship with Jesus Christ, just as you previously grew more and more into sin. Now you are growing more and more into righteousness. And then one day, because you are positionally sanctified, because you are progressively sanctified, you will one day experience perfected sanctification at the glory of God. Father, we thank you for this day. We ask that you bless this time together and that you use it to spark the joy and the encouragement in the life of those here, that they might be a mouthpiece for your glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast and be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org and come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Well, it's such a pleasure uh, to have you joining us today and I pray that